Welcome, friends and adventurers, players and DMs, to the first episode of Bardic Twinspiration, a podcast where my twin brother and I talk about our favorite hobby, Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. We are dice rollers. Uh, we have been for years together and separately. This is pretty much both of our favorite things to do with our free time and to do together. That's right. My name is Steven. I am a humble player, have been for the past seven years or so. I have just now recently dipped my toes into the world of being a dungeon master, but my primary responsibility is being a husband and father to a beautiful wife and three usually amazing kids. (laughs) Me, I'm Rob. I'm the older of the two twins and the oldest of the three brothers. I am an uncle to Steve's lovely children and father to a Labrador Catahoulin hound mutt. (laughs) So we are launching this podcast, Bardic Twinspiration, because we thought that we might have something to contribute to the D&D community at large. So we thought we would take a little bit of time before we really get into the episodes to talk a little bit about ourselves and this podcast, how we got into the hobby, why it's important to us, and kind of what we hope to offer listeners to future episodes. So, Rob, let's start with you. How did you first hear about D&D? So, I was a young, starry-eyed, and somewhat alcoholic bartender in my (laughs) younger 20s. I was living in a little apartment in Birmingham, Alabama, and I had a bunch of friends over to the apartment one day, And we were having fun and passing some drinks around. And one of my pals, Ian, who is a Twitch streamer now, you can find him at the Hall of Justice on Twitch. I strongly recommend you check him out. He brought the 5th edition starter set, the little box set that just come out, to the party. And got us around the table and whipped out the pre-made characters and we started playing. And to be honest, I don't remember that session. It, it was a good party. I don't remember that session at all. Was it, uh, what, the Lost Minds of Fandelver? Uh, I don't remember the session at all. I'm telling oh, you. okay. <laughs> I really don't remember a thing. Except that the next morning I remembered that I had played Dungeons & Dragons. And that was a thing that, growing up, our parents weren't very excited about. But that I remembered my our uncle being a big fan of and that I had always been curious about. So I looked up that friend from the party. I looked up Ian and said, hey, I'd like to give that a go again. And he said, yeah, I'm actually getting a group together with some people from the apartment that I work with and you're welcome to join if you'd like to. And so I did. I rolled up a gnome rogue, an arcane trickster named Rattle the Chance and started playing in Ian's homebrew world. And that game lasted for a few months, and I had a good bit of fun. I mean, that was what hooked me into the hobby. But it became pretty evident to me that Ian, who was our dungeon master, would really rather be a player. And I thought what he was doing didn't look that hard, and that I thought I could do a better job doing it. And that's not to say anything against Ian. That was just Rob being cocky in his mid-twenties. I mean, plus you want to kind of help a friend out, right? Like, you know, hey, you'd rather be a player. I think I can give you that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So I asked him if he wouldn't mind 
taking a break from running for a few weeks so I could try my hand at it. And I invited all of the players from his game into my game. And we ran Pathfinder because everybody was more familiar with it because it had been out for longer. Fifth edition, again, had just come out. So you had to learn a new system in order to run for them? I absolutely didn't. I ran the game without knowing jack about Pathfinder. <laughs> oh, okay. So like, so you were playing Rattle the Chance in a 5th edition campaign, or was it a Pathfinder campaign? No, Rattle was in 5e. Okay, okay. So you just started running, like, cold turkey. <laughs> I started running a system I had never played a session in. And I started trying to learn the rules, and there was some similarity between 5e and Pathfinder. But I basically tried to hide my ignorance about Pathfinder behind a compelling story. And we wound up never going back to Ian's campaign. We all just started having fun with the story that I was telling. And that became what we did with our Tuesday nights for months. And I got hooked on creating my own world and creating a custom story for my friends and seeing what they would do when I presented them with these bizarre situations and watching the surprise and delight and fear on their faces as I presented them with things that just came out of my imagination. You know, a, a mental muscle I hadn't exercised since my teenage years. Right, because we don't do improv classes, or we have no very little history in any sort of theatrical productions or anything like that. So, I mean, this is the first time that you and I have discussed this, really. So, which campaign was this that you were running for them? Because I think we've discussed most of them that you've run before. This was the Shards of Divinity campaign. Oh, okay, Ceres. that was them? Mm -hmm. Okay, neat, neat. Okay, so answer me this, then. What is the transition here? What's the timeline between you getting together with Ian and friends and starting to run that campaign for them and showing up at my house with five or six other people to say, hey, this is session zero for the Pathfinder game that you're in. I was building that campaign roundabouts the same time that we started coming to your house to play. Because after I got so excited about this while I was still playing in Ian's campaign i came and told you about it and said hey i tried this thing i really like it i think you should try it and then we you me and my friends from that game kind of got together and decided on who could run a game and who was interested in it and who would like to play and kind of worked it around your schedule so that we could get to play together right and from my perspective i remember vaguely having this sort of conversation it's like hey i tried out uh, role-playing games because as you previously stated this is not anything that we were sort of raised around in fact i remember a very prominent public figure coming out and speaking against D D and pretty much everything that was made by the wizards of the coast at the time in fact they had this little progression that i will probably remember for the rest of my life which is uh don't play pokemon because you play pokemon you play Yu-Gi-Oh. you play Yu-Gi-Oh, you're going to end up playing magic the gathering and if you play magic the gathering you're going to start playing dungeons and dragons and if you start playing dungeons and dragons well then out come the ouija boards <laughs> it was um it was some lingering satanic panic from you know the earlier days of D&D. &D. Now don't date us now. Don't date us. <laughs> okay. We we could be totally young in the thoughts and minds of our listeners. But yes, it absolutely was. And I give our parents full credit for being cautious. Although, you know, as I got older, they were a little bit more permissive with things, you know, once they realized that we were becoming 
more or less reasonable, rational, safe, and careful people. And we got into Yu-Gi-Oh! Started going to the local books a million, trading some cards around and stuff, and, you know, had a lot of fun. And then one of our best friends from high school, Will, brought over some Magic the Gathering cards. That stuff's great. We still play that today. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could play it more, uh, much like D&D. So when you came to me and said, hey, I tried out the D&D thing, and it's actually pretty fun. I'm like, you know, I remember that guy talking about this when we were kids. And so far, I've liked everything he said to avoid. <laughs> we actually so, did follow the progression. Yeah, so maybe I should give this thing a shot. Um, you know, still no Ouija boards coming out at our house. But I think D&D was a great place to move up to. And it was a great place to stop. The only conversation I remember after that is, hey, we're all going to meet up to talk about the campaign setting. And we're going to make characters and things. Is it cool if we come over to your place? And we said, sure. And a bunch of strangers showed up in my house and put a PowerPoint on my TV about a campaign setting and talked about some basic rules. And uh, then we dismissed, and the dungeon master was texting me to say, hey, when's a good time for us to meet up and create your character? So we went to a local Starbucks and spent two and a half, three hours working out my character and his backstory. And uh, that's about how long it has taken me to create every character since then, if not more. But we started hosting the games at my house and setting aside a couple hours every week. And I had absolutely no experience with any sort of tabletop role-playing game. I mean, the closest thing that I had come to was probably playing Oblivion at that point. Mm. Skyrim was pro. I think... I don't want to date us too hard. I think that was post-Skyrim. It was well post-Skyrim. Good, good. There we go. I was um, living in a different city when Skyrim came out. An undetermined amount of time after Skyrim came out. <laughs> You gotta be careful now, as many times as Skyrim has come out, that doesn't date us at all. True, uh, although I accidentally mentioned Oblivion, so mm. there goes that. Anyway, I also made a rogue for my first character, a wood elf rogue, who uh, was very assassiny and had some like uh, homebrew trickster elements to him, and I don't know how many sessions of that game we played, I, I want to say probably somewhere between 15 and 20. Uh, but those were yeah. some those were some good times, and that was one of only two campaigns that I played in real life around a tabletop. After that, I became a dad, and my time became more limited. And I worked as a manager in a restaurant, which meant that the times that I was available were wildly different from the times that everyone else that I knew who was interested in the game was available. So playing online just kind of became the only way that I could participate, and I've just kind of done it as much as I could, uh, as much as my uh, work schedule and family responsibilities would allow since then. You know, you said you only played a couple of campaigns in person, but you've done a lot more playing virtually. Yeah. So let's see. The next campaign that I was in after my son was born was it was my first one in 5e because I don't think, no, if we mentioned it or not, but that game that I played in was Pathfinder because that's what your friends were playing in at the time. So I had just learned one system and then I had to turn around and learn a new one. Fortunately, 5e is relatively easy to absorb and build on a lot of the principles from Pathfinder because Pathfinder is basically a better Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. So yeah, we got into a campaign where we started playing on Roll20, which is an excellent virtual tabletop that I still use today mm -hmm. and has pretty much been where we hosted every other campaign since then. And I've done three campaigns on that and just a whole bunch of one shots Roll20 was actually where I ran the campaign that I successfully completed as a DM. Yeah, especially more recently as, you know, 
the world has been experiencing a global pandemic and getting together with your friends is harder than ever. Uh, virtual tabletops like Roll20 have really been a godsend, not just in keeping us in touch with some of our friends, but in keeping us in touch with the game that we love so much. Right. You know, actually, now that you mention it, since the pandemic, I have been in as many games and campaigns as I had been in the five years prior to that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more. We know now that we like Dungeons and Dragons and we are, you know, somewhat invested in it. We know how we became aware and involved in the hobby. Rob, why is this important to you now? Like, out of all the things that you could be doing with your time when you're off work, why D&D? So, Matt Colville is on record as saying that D&D is the most fun thing you can do with your brain. And I'm kind of inclined to agree. Hmm. When I was a kid, I thought I might want to be an actor when I grew up. And then I tried a little acting in high school and college and realized it wasn't as much fun as I thought it was and that it was harder than I thought it was. So I didn't wind up being an actor. But I can kind of be an actor when I play D&D. Sure. And when I was a kid, I thought, I'm creative. I can maybe be an artist and you know, draw impressive things and impress people and myself with the things that I can create on paper. And turns out there are a bunch of talented people in the world who are way better at it than I ever was or could be. But... I like drawing maps and player characters and monsters in D&D. I thought I might want to be an author and write compelling stories with interesting twists and thrill audiences with dramatic situations. But writing's hard and time-consuming and has to be just so. But I can still tell stories when I run D&D. So being a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, this sounds kind of cheesy, but it kind of lets me live all my childhood dreams for what I would be when I grow up. And I get to do that two or three times a week. And it makes me it makes me very happy. It's a creative outlet in a world where I have very few creative outlets. Right. And you know, the funny thing is it's a nice blend of that whole process, right? Because you are kind of like the author because as a DM, you are creating villains. You're creating a storyline. You know, you're giving the world a sense of depth and re realism, creating a plot for the characters to follow. You can craft arcs that the characters may go through. And then it kind of scratches that actor itch because instead of playing one character, as you would in a play... For, you know, say, two hours? For how long it plays? I don't know. And now you are any number of characters over the course of a four-hour session, followed by even more characters the next week. And I don't have to memorize my lines. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And, you know, improv may have been a big missed opportunity for you. You know, that mm. might have been something that you would have been super into. But this is how you could find out. How about... Uh... How about you? What has made you like this and enjoy this so much? What makes you seek out D&D as something to do with your spare time? Uh, well, it's definitely nothing as noble, heartwarming, and grandiose as that. 
as because I am mostly a player, I particularly enjoy the discovery aspect of D&D. Whenever you think of D&D, a, a lot of people know the three big pillars of play, right? It's combat, it's um, exploration, and what's the other one? Social interaction. Social interaction. The part that I like is exploration, and I, I feel like the word really? exploration tends to kind of evoke going across a map. I would really have pegged you for social interaction, kind of based on some of the characters you've made. Yeah, weird, right? Um, no, I just like, you know, charisma ca- classes are broken, so that's why I play them. Um, <laughs> Especially in my games. I thought I had to think about this a couple of weeks ago, but it's the exploration part that I like, and it's not because I like going across a map or anything like that. Mm. I like being put into a world that is curated for me and immersive and finding out about that world. This is something that is particularly easy because you have been my DM in a good majority of the games that I've been in. And the games that you haven't been a DM in, the ones that were more immersive are the ones that I enjoyed more. I like getting a world Bible from a DM and reading the thing. Mm -hmm. I like basing my character in the setting. Yeah, you do. And, you know, making, making them ingratiated into some sort of faction or from a family of note within this kingdom. And that's why it takes me so long to make characters. Um, but, you know, the very first character that I had was set up that way by the DM in that Pathfinder game, and that's just how I've done it since. But I like unfolding a story. I like learning about the story that's already there and how it might be relevant to me as this character that I've created. And so you like turning over rocks and, and pushing buttons and, and making the world react to you. Yeah. I'm not so much like, you know, the guy who can't wait to get into the dungeon because there might be riddles there. Because honestly, like, I could really care less if that existed in a game. And I do like combat and I do like social interactions, like, especially between players, if, like, the players are super into it. But I definitely like having a compelling narrative that is crafted by the DM to apply to us as characters and to appeal to us as players and finding out what that is plus i really like the system you know i like make i'm not one of those guys who just makes a whole bunch of characters right because i've had some people in groups that i've played with who make a character a day because you know they think it's fun no making a character for me takes a lot of investment it cripples me for a week (laughs) it takes time it you have come up with some of the best characters in games that i have run and it is because you oh, take Shaw. I'm blushing. Everyone, I have to say it because no one can see. It's because you take ten times as long to create a character as anyone else in those games. And I don't try to give my level one character a level twenty backstory. <laughs> um, you write the longest level one backstories of anybody I've seen. But that's the thing about tabletop role playing games that is different from any sort of other role-playing games. It's the fact that it's not a choose-your-own-adventure story, or it's not an Elder Scrolls sandbox, or it's not Dark Souls where you just decide how you're going to progress your character. Mm -hmm. It's a collaborative storytelling experience. What happens in the game is worked on together by you and the DM and the other players. So that's the weird thing about it is no one has complete control, but if you're all working together, you can make something that's better than the sum of your parts. And that's why I show up. It's the drama, it's the narrative, 
and I, I mean, I really like the combat, but I mean, if it was just combat, I'd do a bunch of one shots. And when you have a DM that is really invested, like that is feeding off the energy that they're getting from the players and taking that and giving it back to you. Those are the games where the characters go home crying. You can get really emotionally invested in this game. Um, I am not a particularly emotional person, so I'm not going to be the guy who's tearing up when uh, one of the player characters dies or anything like that, but I am the sort of person who, even if we only play for like four hours every two weeks, I might be thinking about the game you know, that many hours or or more during the interim. You know, there have been studies. Uh, I can't tell you who has done them or when, but I've heard that the experiences that you have inside of a role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons are processed by your brain the same way that actual experiences are processed. Oh, really? The things that your player character does your brain treats them like they happened to you. And that's one of the reasons that you can get get so emotionally invested in the story that you're telling together is because it is personally meaningful in a way that a video game or a movie or a book is not. Yeah, and you know, you actually have a really good example of that. Um, you found a group online that got super invested in the story that you were working this was that your was that your like first foray into running the game for people who you hadn't met before yeah so uh, <laughs> i have an app on my phone called funny picks and you know it's it's basically a a budget competitor of iFunny but i've been on it for years and i was swiping through one day and there was just a block of text that said Hey, people from this app that like D&D, we created a server for people from this app who like D&D. Come join us. And so I did and got kind of plugged into that little community for a while. And there were a bunch of players and next to no DMs and, you know, just the way that every looking for group situation is online. Uh, but I threw my hat in the ring and I said, first five or six people to message me and who can play on a time that I'm free, I'll run for you. And, you know, I was just going to do it because I liked running and wanted to see what it would be like for running for people that I didn't normally play with, maybe make some new friends. And that wound up being a campaign that we played to completion which does not happen often running D&D campaigns. Right, I feel like that's statistically improbable, especially when you just kind of put yourself out there on the internet. And like you didn't, you went from level what to level what and you lost no no players along the way? Oh, we, we lost some players. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, we still, lost some players and some player characters. Yeah, but still making it from point A to point B, the feeling of closing a book on a story this is just an impression that I've gotten from the internet and my own experience, but I feel like that doesn't happen very often. Uh, it does not, but I was very fortunate that the completely random set of people that I was fortunate enough to get paired with were some wonderful guys and girls who came to mean a lot to me and that I would like to think that was mutual. It was. I can actually attest to that fact because... 
these kids reached out to me on Discord. I've never met any of them. Um, I don't remember how they ended up getting in touch with me, but they said, hey, you're Rob's brother, right? Well, we're trying to get together some sort of little present for him to thank him for being our DM. And so the very beginning of fall, or maybe like late summer, this guy contacts me and tells me this and asks if I will help make sure that it gets into your hands. So they start sending this little care package around the countryside because, you know, none of these people live next to each other. Internationally, actually, because Mintz is from Canada. Yeah, this package went to Canada. This package went to, I think, Pennsylvania and some other places like Florida or something. And um, they were signing cards. They were uh, ordering gifts, like a little customized dice box tray Mm -hmm. for you. What was it? Was it Wormwood? No, Elder... It was Elderwood Academy Spellbook Dice Tray. Elderwood Academy Custom Dice Box. Every single bell and whistle that Elderwood offered was on this thing. And they added in some like special artwork for all the different player characters and everything. And this big card, like uh, like one foot by two feet. Um, it's actually here. It's sitting to my left. It is almost two feet tall, bright orange, and covered in glitter. I've kept the thing through two moves. Yep. And they sent all this stuff to me in a package, and I just wrapped it up and made sure that you got it on Christmas and recorded you opening it up to send to them later. Um, But this was like a super thoughtful gesture from anyone. You know, this this would have been a really moving thing from like your best friend in high school. But these were a bunch of people that you had never met before who, thanks to the connection that y'all shared through D&D and the time that you spent together and the investment that you made in each other, cared enough about you to go through all this effort. And, you know, that was completely unprecedented and unexpected. And I still treasure those items and those people. Um, I'm still very touched by it. But yeah, every every week we would get online and play together. I think we hardly missed one for almost two years. And I spent some formative years of their lives and mine together in a make-believe world that I invented in this kind of Arabian night setting. And I went through some difficult things personally during that time. And so did... Uh, one of my players in particular. And, you know, with them sending me stuff like that, it's just kind of proof of the the bonds that can form through this kind of a game. And when this player, my friend, was going through this hard stuff, I thought to myself that these relationships that I have formed are significant to me and that these people that I will probably never meet in person are significant to me and that they need to know that. And even if it's just from some guy in Alabama that they don't really know, everybody deserves to know that they are valued and that they are loved as often as possible. And so for those games, I began the habit, which I have continued to this day, of any time that I run a game before I sign off, before my friends leave the building, you know, however we're playing. I tell each and every one of my players, including you, that 
I love them and that they are special and mean something to me. Getting a little choked up just talking <laughs> about it. Oh, your emotions are showing. Yeah. But, you know, it is true. Like, everyone out there deserves to be cared about, and uh, I'm glad that you take that extra step to make sure that, you know, you could just say, you know, these are a bunch of people that you're playing a game with, right? But the investment is different, right? Like, I could sit across the table from someone and play Monopoly and feel nothing for them by the time that game is over. But D&D is a game about relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a game about the relationships that you're making as your character, but it's, you know, very much an emotional investment between the players and the DM and the players and each other. Yeah, in and out of the game. It's a game about relationships. Right. I mean, and that just comes from the fact that D&D is a very time-consuming hobby, and it is a hobby that, in order to do it effectively, requires commitment. I mean, there, here you go. If you're afraid of commitment, don't play D&D, because... <laughs> Uh, you know, it is it is a long-term relationship so you hear that ladies i'm not afraid of commitment <laughs> so you've been a player and you've been a dm and i feel like you made the transition from player to dm very quickly very quickly because that's what appealed to you you have since been a player again uh, i know that you're in a very long-running campaign that was run by our uncle who i think tried to curate your interest in the hobby and is still a very um, influential figure for both of us in that regard. Yeah, he's he's basically my D&D sponsor. I'm in the Big Brother program, and, and he's the Big Brother. I mean, he's been playing since first edition, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, he's like the D&D godfather. He's, he's been playing since before we were born. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I mean, he's, he, he pretty much is like the D&D godfather. Like, you yeah. know, you got a question, and you can ask him. He's my, he's my dealer. You know what's funny is that he gave me uh, my first and only D and D book. He just handed it to me, so therefore I guess he is mine too. <laughs> um, anyway, so talk to me a little bit about your experience as a player and as a DM. When I am behind the screen as a dungeon master, I feel kind of that's where I'm in my element because I I'm one of those bizarre ones. You know, I don't enjoy playing as much as I enjoy being the dungeon master. And I really do enjoy playing, but at heart, I'm an entertainer. You know, I would rather host the party than go to the party. I would rather be in the play than watch the play. I would rather design the game than play the game. This is because you crave attention, right? <laughs> nah, not, not this time. It's because I want to be responsible for other people having a good time. That makes me feel like I have used my time well when I can make somebody else smile. So it's a lot harder for me to do that as a player to make other people have a good time in a way that's not disruptive or distracting to the rest of the table. But when I'm running, I do have kind of, you know, I do get to be in charge and that's fun, but I do get to curate the fun of other people. And that's kind of what speaks to me more. When I do get to play, I am kind of like you were describing yourself earlier. I like to turn the rocks over. I like to push the buttons. I like to see what happens in the world. You know, if someone's going to get their leg cut off in a trap, or if someone's going to make a deal 
with the you know cloven hoofed fellow in a trench coat in the alleyway, it's going to be me because I don't want to miss a thing. Um, and that's partially because, you know, when am I going to get to play again and do it again? All right, you're the guy who, if you see a floating light in a cemetery, you think, hey, you know what, I'm going to cast an attack spell at this just to see what happens. And then, you know, if some kids <laughs> die later, then, you know, oh, well, that's just, uh, you got to break some eggs. No, that is, um, that's more your style. I would go and try and catch the thing like it was a firefly, not knowing if it was dangerous or not, because what if it is? <laughs> No, I suffer from Travis Willingham syndrome. You know, if you put some, a button in front of me, I've got to push the button. Yeah. Uh, um, You're the DD of the group. Oh, from Dexter's Lab? From Dexter's Lab. There you go. I think that I also would very much enjoy being a DM. I think that I really enjoy the opportunity to be creative and yet don't have any talent with which to be creative right like i can't read music i can't sing um i have very limited artistic capabilities tried my hand at writing and kind of got burnt out on it um but i think D is a really good outlet for that like it allows me to craft a narrative without all the typing you know it allows me to as we discussed earlier uh, act in multiple roles so that i don't get completely burnt out on one of them um but being a dm for a homebrew campaign as i would like which is really how i feel like i would really scratch that itch is just very time consuming and uh i don't feel like um, with my current familial responsibilities, I have the time that I need to do that. Well, that just means you've got your priorities straight. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't trade my family for anything. Um, but, you know, when I do have some free time, this is one of the hobbies that I enjoy most and would like to spend it on. Uh, if I can't find someone to sit down and play an uh, eight-hour game of Twilight Imperium, then D&D is the next option. So... I most often find myself as a player, um, and that is fine. Uh, it's a little bit more limiting because I have one character as opposed to the plethora that I would get to be as a DM, but that's why I try to put so much gosh darn time into making them so that <laughs> when I enter this long-term relationship with my character, I can see them through to the end of the campaign. Have not gotten to the end of any campaign as a player. Uh, it always ends up being caught in scheduling conflicts or the like. But one day, one day, man, I will finish a campaign as a player and not just as a DM. And it's one of my personal goals to get you to run a homebrew campaign, preferably sometime in the near future. Because the one time that you did get behind the DM screen, you were running a boxed adventure, which was, I think we can both agree, was not the best boxed adventure. No, and we're going to talk about that in one of these upcoming episodes. Like, I really tried to run it. It's like, for my own personal benefit, I wanted to make it as close to the written material as possible, and I don't feel like the written material really filled all the gaps in the setting or, like, within the motivations of the NPCs and things. And, you know, I realized after the fact that there's, you know, that's where they want you to cre take some creative license. But, I don't know. I was very happy to have all of that structure because it gave me the opportunity to be a DM uh, without having to sit down and homebrew 
everything because I am very much a planner. I am not one of those guys who can just sit down and say, all right, we're starting in this town. I'm going to have a couple of notes on the town. We're going to improvise the rest and whatever happens is canon. And I will continue to build and improvise upon that. No, <laughs> I need notes. I need maps. I need lore for every <laughs> NPC, major NPC. I need to know what are the plots going. I need to know, you know, the relationship that the villain had with his parents, that sort of stuff. I just don't have the time to do any of that sort of thing. So the box adventure was very useful because it gave me the opportunity to DM, but it didn't satisfy in terms of the level of curation and immersion that I wanted to create for my players. So it very much, it only just kind of it dipped my toes in the water. It gave me a taste of what DMing could be like, but wasn't. And I really want another chance to go at it. And that, alternative way that you were talking about running Dungeons and Dragons that is somewhat by the seat of your pants. I sometimes do that and I can do that. And um, yeah. that has been, we're twins, but we're not the same person. You know, we take, have very different approaches to this stuff. Like how long does it take you to make a character? For example, not long. I could have one in the next 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. see, I, I mean, I take a good, I take a couple of hours just to make a character for a one shot, but you know, I stand by what I said. I think you are a very, very creative person and a good storyteller. And when we do get you to create a homebrew campaign for yourself, I think I think you'll you'll catch the bug. You'll catch the fever. Yeah, it'll be good because you know the interesting part of the relationship between players and DMs is the DM controls the world. They control the npcs they control the antagonists they control the villains they control like everything about the point in time and everything that has preceded it until the first player character sets foot on that world in session one and then the dms lose control Hmm. in a lot of ways obviously not every way but the player characters control the main character of the story they control the story itself, if you ask me. Exactly. The DM is now limited by the fact that what is going to take place from a week-to-week basis in the campaign, in the actual game of D&D, not in their setting, but in the game, it is going to be dictated by the actions of the player characters. So it's a very interesting power dynamic there, um, which I have become more and more cognizant of the longer that I play the game. You know, there's a common reference that the DM is God. You know, the DM has complete and utter control over the game. And to a certain extent, that is true. But the DM is more a referee in a lot of ways. and Which is what they used to call it, right? Uh, I think so. And certainly in some systems they still do. But they're more of a, of a storyboard artist. Like, I can kind of create a scene, but, you know, then it's going to go to the director, and it's going to go to the actors and the CGI guys, and you may not recognize it by the time it comes back. Yeah, it's a really fun dynamic. It's a really fun system when you can get both a dungeon master and players who are all invested in each other's mutual fun and mutual character development i think i've been pretty fortunate that there have been no outright uh sowers of dissent 
in any of the groups that I've been in because Reddit is full of them. Yeah, we've uh, we've been certainly blessed with the people that we've had at our tables for sure. Can't wait to give it another go and uh, very much enjoying the campaign that we are currently in. Um, now, you have taken it one step further. Uh, I'm a, We've both been players. We've both technically been dungeon masters, but you were the first person to really take that step from D&D consumer to a content creator. So tell me about that process. Yeah, so... And I still kind of feel awkward talking about this because, you know, it's not been around for very long and in a lot of respects it doesn't really still feel real. But I spend a lot of my free time pursuing this hobby. You know, not just enjoying it or consuming it, but trying to improve. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm not playing the game, I'm reading about the game or listening to a podcast about the game, or watching a live play on YouTube, or listening to a live play, I'm consuming this game an awful lot, because I'm I'm very excited by it and challenged by it. And so I am constantly trying to better myself my understanding of the game and my practice of the craft for my own edification and to improve the experience at my gaming table. I am uh, what I would call a wannabe. I'm a tryhard. And I imagine that there may be others like me out there. And so I started D&D Wannabe, uh, where I and hopefully uh, others like me can come together and use what I have learned, what I have experienced, and what I feel like I have to offer others who are similarly pursuing excellence in this game so that together we can make this easier for all of us so that we can demystify the system and so that we can all improve the amount of fun we're able to have at this game and to take our games to the next level. So I began writing articles on my thoughts of Dungeons & Dragons philosophy and game mastering philosophy and player behaviors. I started writing a book, a supplement for Dungeons and & Dragons, and a couple of adventures, and uh, now I guess I'm doing a podcast. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a really good and noble endeavor to say not just I am going to try to take all of this information that I have obsessively consumed and use it to benefit the people at my table you know I feel like that is someone's responsibility as a player as a dungeon master to try to improve the experience for the people who you're playing with but you're taking that like the next step and saying hey I would like to share this with more people you know through whatever medium I can access or whatever medium I can create at the time. I was a big proponent of the fact that, you know, hey, you you can just write this stuff, but I think that you can reach a bigger audience if you take this to a different medium. Um, and I have a very limited skill set, but one of the things that I did pick up in college was the ability to edit audio and video. And so it seemed like a very natural thing to just say, hey, why don't we set up some sort of 
podcast, or I think we discussed YouTube for a little while. Maybe we'll do that eventually, but uh, to say, hey, let's set up a podcast and let's just bring you on. You obviously know a lot about this. You obviously have um, some very strong feelings about some of this stuff, and you have a lot of stuff that you would like to share with the community. Let's just try to give you a theater in which to do that. This is it. (laughs) And uh, I was only excited by the idea of this when you agreed to participate because you are an entertaining fellow. Uh, You are good with uh, audio-visual stuff, as you mentioned, and I don't think there is a market for one guy talking about his Dungeons & Dragons experience to a microphone, but it's easier for me to get my thoughts out there having a conversation with my brother. So... You have this goal, you have this mission statement to take your passion for the hobby that is D&D and share it with the D&D community because you might have something of benefit for them to learn from or at the very least you might have a fresh perspective that they haven't heard before or you can condense these hours upon hours. Uh, I think we're at thousands, if not dozens of thousands of hours that you have put into learning more about D&D and then putting the things that you have learned into practice. <laughs> it is an embarrassingly significant portion of my life. <laughs> right. So maybe just condensing that down to something that's a little bit easier to consume so that no one has to go through the hell that you did to learn all this stuff. Um, you know, who is it? Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell says that if you spend 10,000 hours at something that you have mastered it, and you, I think it's a safe assumption by this point that you've exceeded that. Exclusively by that definition, I can be considered a dungeon master master. And by no other definition would I claim that. Okay, so we'll have to refer to you as the DMM now. Well, you're the DMM. Yes, the DMM. <laughs> DMM D&D wannabe. Um so that's kind of why we started this podcast. And we're starting from a different level. You know, this is probably odd to listen to because it's very free form conversation between two consenting adults. But you got to say it like that. <laughs> it's a very free form conversation between two brothers. Uh, but the stuff that we have coming up for you, some of it will be a little bit more formal and informative, some of it will be, you know, a little bit more conversational. And we hope that it, all of it will at least be entertaining. Yeah. Or at least informative. Like I said, if we haven't told you something that you that is completely new, we hope that we're going to put it into an easy-to-consume form um, and hopefully from maybe a perspective that may be new to you. Um, but this podcast is for everyone, but it may not be as immediately useful to some people. Like we've been playing this game for a couple of years and we are going to start with the assumption that you have played D and D before, you know, I hope to eventually create some episodes that are for people who are completely new to the game. Have don't know what a D 20 is and have never touched the rule book, mm-hmm. but we're not starting there. And you know, there's so many resources for people who are looking to learn the game from scratch, not the least of which are the books themselves, but Handbook or Helper that Critical Role has put out, mm-hmm. um, or Joe Katz or XP to Level 3's uh, Getting Started Guides. or the. Yeah, I don't know how informative those are, but they are darned entertaining. Yeah, but 
this podcast is for, at least to start, people who know what D&D is, who have played a game or two, and who think that maybe there's a way to play it better, or to run it better. And that's another point that we should make. This is content that is not specifically for DMs. I know that there's a lot of demand for content curated for DMs because they have a bigger, harder, more time-consuming job. Thank you. And the more help they can get, the better. Um, I mean, hey, I did it once. I mean, it's a it's a commitment. I kind of phoned it in with using the uh, the the module, but having done it. I highly recommend using a module because it gave me the opportunity that I would not have otherwise had. Be selective about which module you use, though. Ask someone who's run them before for advice. Um, They are not all created equal. But this podcast will be for players as well. Uh, There is going to be hopefully something in every episode that you can take away from it as a player, even if you have never been a DM and have hope never to be a DM. Uh, maybe it will give you some sort of enlightened perspective or a peek behind the curtain, or maybe it'll be give you something that you can directly apply to your character or to your table. We're kind of doing this division of labor thing where Steve, who has spent much more time as a player, will be able to give a better perspective for players on the issues that we want to discuss. And me, who has spent a lot more time behind the screen running the game, can offer an experienced uh, viewpoint on the topics we intend to cover. One thing that is very important to me, no matter which side of the screen I am on, is making sure that the game feels real. That there is a sense of depth to the world, and there's a sense of depth to your character, and that anything that your party undergoes, or the party undergoes if you're the DM, has a sense of immersion to it. I didn't know that that was going to be the real thing that I wanted to bring to this podcast when we started it, but I found that pretty much every topic I cover, that sense of realism, uh, even if it is a fantastic, by which I mean a, or you know, evoking fantasy sense of realism, is very important. So, If I had a mission statement for this podcast, it would be to help you find ways to make your table more engaged and your world seem more immersive, whether or not you are the DM who designed it. And it's my intention to highlight that Dungeon Masters are players too, and that they have a role to play, and it is a role with more responsibilities. But just like everybody else at the table... You showed up to have fun, roll some dice, and tell a story. Yeah, that's a very important note because a lot of people will tend to think of the DM as like the boss. Or the enemy. Or the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is a person who is playing the game of Dungeons & Dragons who is committing more time than you and more effort and resources to making sure that everyone else can have fun. And, you know, I know that there are some DM, some DMs out there who are a little bit more combative and like, ha, ah, I'm really going to stick it to my players this week. And you know what? Um, if that's what your table is down for, then you guys do you. You know, that's the beauty of D&D is that it can be used in different ways. Uh, there are some people who do it as just a straight 
grindy dungeon crawl, and there's some people who don't roll initiative for months at a time. There are so many different ways to play Dungeons and Dragons, and none of them are wrong. And whichever way is your favorite way to play, there will be something here that we'll be discussing that you can bring to your table to make it a little bit better. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting through this very informal conversation that we've had with one another. For humoring us, basically. We hope that you've been able to enjoy it. The next couple of episodes that follow are going to be a little bit different. Uh, We are going to be getting into the meat of our subject matter. We're going to be discussing some ways to improve certain aspects of your game. And we very much look forward to starting this journey along with you, our listeners, because without you, this is for nothing. And we really hope that you will benefit from it in some way. Do bear with us for the first episode or two. We got kind of enthusiastic and a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yep, we were very excited to start creating. (laughs) For you, dear friend and adventurer, we began recording before we had proper equipment and proper recording space. So bear with us for crackly audio or echoes or a mic bump now and again. We are committed to improving. And in fact, we did, I think, by... If we release them in the order that we have intended, by the second episode, we have already improved by leaps and bounds. Hundreds of dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something that we wanted to do. You know, this We didn't wait until we had some sort of Patreon set up or anything to uh, ask for y'all to fund this because you so appreciate the content. that We, we wanted you to suffer through as few of those technical <laughs> difficulties as possible. You already have signed up to listen to two brothers talk to each other. You shouldn't have to suffer through a bunch of background static or, you know, ear-piercing audio in order to do so. Uh, we, we don't want the medium to get in the way of the message. Well, friends, we truly appreciate you taking this time with us, and we hope that you will stick around for and enjoy the episodes to come. We are releasing this introduction with our first episode so that you can immediately start enjoying what Rob has to say from all of his information with occasional commentary from me. I hope that you'll just go ahead and put that first episode on, and we'll see you on the other side. And hey, I love you guys. See you next time. The outro music you're listening to right now is called Mega Epic, and the intro music is called Super Epic. Both were composed by the wonderfully talented Alexander Nakarada and utilized under a Creative Commons license. You can find more of his music at serpentsoundstudios.com. If you enjoyed our content, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on your listening app of choice. To keep up with us on social media, look us up on facebook.com forward slash bardic twinspiration and on Twitter at btwinspiration. Want to interact with us directly? Come join our Discord. After all, who are we if not people who are willing to roll the dice on making some new friends? Links in the description. Come check it out. I definitely like having a compelling narrative that is crafted by the DM to apply to us as characters and to appeal to us as players and finding out what that is. I hit my microphone, so I'm going to redo that. And 
finding out what that is. <laughs> you still do the hand gesture. Uh, yeah. 